What's up? What's up? So I'm so excited about today's guest because uh, I know that we get a lot of questions and I hear it out in the foster care world and people that are foster curious um, about if they can be a foster parent and be single. And the answer, of course, is yes. Um, and we definitely, we had Lauren on the podcast who talked about she fostered as a single mom. Um, and of course, you can be a foster parent if you're single. But we also know about, you know, the need for men in children's lives. We need, we know about the need for a good role model, a good male influence, especially for boys growing up without fathers. So, our guest today is Barry Farmer, and he is not only an adoptive dad and a single dad, uh, but he started fostering at 19 years old. Um, and it's really interesting. You know, I know with the stable moments model, we're always talking about we need male mentors, we need men to st step up to the plate more. You know, we're always seeking more men in this work, more men foster parents, more men mentors, more male teachers, more male social workers, right? So we say that there's this big push for men. But as Barry will bring up, and I think it's a good point, it's also, we tend to criticize men or um, we're skeptical about their intentions, right? So we wonder, well, why does he want to do that? Why does he want to work with kids? Um, and we think that it's a little weird, maybe, if um, a man, a single man wants to foster or a single man wants to uh, be a child mentor. It's not something that we always respond positively to. So we can't be pushing and saying men need to step up and we need more men in this work and children need men and, and men need to do X, Y, and Z. And then when men step up, we can't look at them with like, you know, a skeptical eye of like, why do you want to do this? You know, who would step up in that case? And Barry said that that's, you know, kind of the reaction that he has gotten sometimes. So it's really, really, really interesting um, how we do both, right? We expect men to do one thing and then we criticize them if they do it. So Barry's going to give you some insight. He is incredible. He is a uh, radio host. So he has his own radio show. He's an advocate for foster care. He helps where he can. He has three adopted sons and he himself ended up in kinship care in the in his early childhood. So he knew, you know, what trauma was and how not being with his biological parents, you know, affects kids and affected him. So he kind of brought his own experience. He also works with uh, community youth. So he kind of does this serving youth thing in all aspects of his life. And he also shares a story about a mentor that really helped him, a, a teacher that he was able to hang out with for years and years and years. And this teacher followed him through all of his life and accomplishments. And they really had an amazing bond. And he said that that was a imperative thing, an imperative support for him to have in his life, which just backs up everything that we know about mentorship. So get ready for this fun and informative episode. We're going to roll that intro and then you'll meet Barry. I'm Rebecca Britt, and this is the Stable Moments Podcast. I started this podcast to understand from all perspectives how we can help end the foster care crisis. The overwhelming response was we need to support our local communities. Unwanted, abandoned, orphaned children are the community's responsibility. 
We must support, guide, love, invest, raise up generations that will nurture, love, and support their own children to end this crisis. So the purpose of this podcast is to build an army of people that are interested and willing to take responsibility of our foster youth and who are supportive of foster and adoptive families. This is the on-ramp for people who want to get involved but might not know where to start. I want this to be a place where community members feel like they can make a difference, where they feel good enough to make that difference, and believe that they can be a big deal in the life of a child. Thanks for being part of our community and make sure to join the conversation in the Stable Moments podcast Facebook group. Together we can end the foster care crisis. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to have you. And I just want to start kind of at the beginning. I want to make sure that everybody knows kind of the essence of you. So bring us back to your childhood. Um, Tell us about the decision that was made that put you in kinship care. Well, childhood didn't start off as planned. It wasn't typical. I was a product of addict parents who, you know, had their demons that they had to deal with. And, you know, they were more important than the responsibility of parenting. So um, I live with my mother primarily, so to speak. But with her, we end up bouncing around between family and friends, homes while she was in and out of mothering and incarceration and things like that. So that in itself is kinship care with, you know, the foster care feel of instability. So we, me and my sisters, I had uh, three other sisters that I was living with, that was living with at the time. So um, it was just being split up and just trying to place four kids somewhere. Because mm-hmm. who's going to take in four kids at one time sure. with having their own kids? And um, I was living with uh, my grandmother, who was my mother's mother, mm-hmm. until she became sick with cancer. So that I ended up living with my aunt. And in between all of that, uh, my sisters were living with between my aunt and my mother. And at some point that people started to notice the, the girls and how they were, uh, CPS was contacted and my sisters ended up in foster care. So um, while living with my aunt, we didn't know where my sisters were. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a big issue for my aunt. Yeah. My aunt had made her mother a promise to keep the kids together, find the kids, keep the kids together, watch out for everyone. And in that, the, the girls end up getting taken away. My aunt is distraught. She's like, where are these girls in the system? Right. Can't find out anything. And it's, it's a great story because my oldest sister, and, and the, my, she happened to be placed across the street from my uncle, who lived in a complex across the street from the false town. So she, it was her and my two sisters with, with, was with her. So we, um, so she ended up kind of breaking away from the home and running across the street to let him know, hey, we're across the street. Because <laughs> wow. she remembered that he lived in that complex. And she was about 10, maybe 10 mm-hmm. or 11 at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, so he, once, once he saw her, he was like, okay, go back. <laughs> go back <laughs> over there, you know. And sure. of course, when that happens the system tends to move the move the kids because they're you know you don't know who's who in the family so once they mm-hmm. found out what had happened they moved the girls but they did not end up making contact with the worker who let the, her know that you know i want those girls you know, <laughs> give, me yeah. my niece, give me my nieces so um she ended up going to see them they were like an hour or two away they ended up moving them an hour or two away 
And the situation was, um, because I was a male and my sisters were not, we could not share a room. Mm -hmm. So the decision was made by my aunt. She was like, oh, well, she reached out to my father's mother, who is Cora. I talk about Cora a lot. Mm -hmm. So she reached out to Cora, who's an empty nester. She is not in her business. <laughs> you know, I didn't have a relationship with her. I didn't know her from a can of paint. And sure. she reached out and she was like, could you, would you consider taking in Barry so I could get the girls out of foster care? Mm -hmm. uh, and my grandmother was like, yeah, I will, I will, you know, I would definitely do that. And of course, to me at the age, I'm not having any of it. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I'm like four or three going on four at the time, and I'm not happy about any of this. You know, oh, you know, wow. I'm, so you're really young. I'm this... really young. Yeah, I'm really okay. young. Yeah, so and how I'm, far away was Cora? Um, she was in the city. So all this was going on in Richmond between my aunt and Cora. They live like about 15 minutes away from each other. <laughs> so she, wow. you know, she... You know, they started building that bond with me and Cora. I would go to stay the weekend, whatnot. And my aunt, bless her heart, she, she was like, if you go, I will come get you every weekend. I promise I will come and get you every weekend. And I was like, okay, you know, three-year-old, four-year-old brain. <laughs> yeah, whatever. But yeah. she kept that promise for like five years. She came and wow. got me every weekend for five years until I, you know, going off and spending time with other people and getting in on my neighbors and things like that. So that's how I ended up with my grandmother, Cora, because my, my original grandmother would say, certainly end up passing away long before that. So, you know, that was, it was kind of hard because now I'm the only kid in my grandmother's house. <laughs> I'm practically the only kid in my neighborhood. So it was a bunch, it was a historical black neighborhood, bunch of older people and me basically on the block. <laughs> so it was like, I couldn't see this village being built around me because mm. I'm so young and I don't understand, but it definitely worked out for the better. You know, I, I, I tell people all the time, I was in every house on the block. I was just going up and down. <laughs> I, love it. I was just going up and down the street, helping this person doing this and, you know, getting treats and all this other stuff. And it was just real nurturing. And I did need that. I needed that stability. And, you know, everything was still uncertain living with my aunt, you know, who, if my mother's coming back or, you know, because my aunt had kids of her own. Mm. So, you know, it was, that was the more difficult part for my aunt. She's like, I got two kids of my own. I'm about to take in three more. I don't want to let this one go. It's like my son, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, wow. emo it's emotional for everybody during that time. And um, so, with all of that, I, you know, I'm older now, so I can see everything more clear and how things worked out for the better. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't really have a solid relationship with my father, even though I live with his mother. It's his mother. He comes to see her a lot, but I didn't see, like, seem like I was a priority mm -hmm. <laughs> in the visits. It was like, sure. it would come when I'm not there or just pop and say and go on back out. It wasn't that strong bond. It could have been, but it just wasn't, I guess it wasn't on his, you know, his radar yeah. to be like, oh, let me just go get my son for a few, <laughs> you know. But, um, and my mother would pop in, because my grandma never kept him away from me. And sometimes okay. I really wish she had, because it would mm. probably just close down there in and out trauma type of thing people coming mm -hmm. in with the empty promises and things like that so the earlier stages were very silently emotional 
for me. I really tried to be one of the kids who stayed out the way and did what he was supposed to do. I didn't cause any waves like talking about, you know, I didn't get in trouble in school, hardly. <laughs> but it was just one of those um, times where you want to make sure that you don't do anything mm -hmm. to disrupt what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, and the experience, was it different for your sisters? Because not only were they in a different house where they had all these kids and, mm -hmm. you know, probably it was a little bit more evident to them of like the the village, mm -hmm. but they probably didn't have, did they have your, their dad going in and out or no. mom? No. Well, they did have my mother because it's my mother's sister. So my mother would right. pop up and things like that. And, you know, kids get emotional when you're like, well, I want to go with my mom and things like that. But the dads, no. So it was more, you know, them, my aunt and my uncle, who's my aunt's husband, being there for them and providing for them, like really sure. providing for them. Yeah. And so you're, you're, um, did you have a relationship with your aunt's husband? Your uncle? Yes, it's like my you father. Yes, okay, you know, that's yeah, what I was still, wondering. To this very day. <laughs> so, yeah. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, he was my male figure. My grandmother also had a significant other um, named Tyson, who I loved to death. Oh, my awesome. God. Me and Tyson was like two peas in a pod. It was, everywhere he went, I had to go. <laughs> so it was more. So that's when you, like, when you think you're losing something, but something is being replaced. Mm -hmm. and, you, and you just can't see it that way in the moment. But when you reflect, it's like, gosh, I'm so glad I had such and such. I'm so glad I had this person. And, you know, I did appreciate them for what they did in stepping up. And Tyson ended up passing away when I was a teen. But up until mm -hmm. then, it was just more of, oh, God, I'm glad I had grandpa. Because I called him grandpa. I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. God, I'm glad I had grandpa. And I miss grandpa. He was one of them. He taught me how to be calm in certain situations. He was a cool guy, never raised his voice. It was just one of those, the calmest person I've ever met. That's awesome. Yeah, and just great that you did have not just one, you right. know, ma strong male role model, but you right. had a couple in your life. That That's awesome. I mean, I didn't realize. So were you the youngest or? No, I'm the second oldest. Second oldest. Yes. Okay. So, two, you had two sisters younger than you? I, had three, I actually had three sisters younger than me. Okay. Um, but one in the, you know, she was born, and then my, it's like my mother just gave her <laughs> to my aunt. Right. And, and it just worked out that way. Okay. Wow. So, you're the only... I'm the only boy of my mother's boy. kids. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. So... Tell me about this relationship with your biological parents. They were kind mm -hmm. of in and out, but you were mm -hmm. never able really to bond with them. Mm -hmm. Well, with my mother, it was always that I was a mama's boy. I don't, I didn't, at one point, I didn't care what she did. You know, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it was that, you know, I always know, knew her as mom. But as I began to get older, and, you know, I call this one of the worst mistakes of my life. But I ended up going back to live with her for a year as a teen. Oh, wow. And it was like the worst decision ever. Even my grandma Cora was like, are you sure you want to do this? And you know teens, eh. <laughs> you know, we know it all. Yeah, and, you got to try yeah, it before right. you're going to knock it. Yeah. Right. So, it, you know, it was just one of those things that turned into a big old snowball. And within a year, it was right back where I started with her in the projects, mm -hmm. scrounging for food and just depressed. Mm -hmm. And I end up um, actually 
leaving, that it was just a big commotion out for my departure. It was a big commotion. And I, my father actually ended up picking me up out of that situation. And he brought me back with him to his home with his wife and her kids and whatnot. Oh, wow. And a month later, he, if something happened between me and him, he was like, get out, you know? And I was like, okay. <laughs> so it was, it was great because he lived like two or three doors down from my grandma Cora. So I'm like, he was like, get out and don't come back. And I was like, okay then. You know, and again, I wasn't one of those teens that was, oh my God, I wasn't a loud teen. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a disrespectful teen. It was just something that we didn't agree on at that moment and he meant mm-hmm. what he said when he said get out and yeah. i was like wow i was like they get to stay the kids right like they get to stay okay so i just got my little bag that i had anyway because it was literally like a faucet because you had a little itty bitty bag or barely had any belongings mm-hmm. and i walked down the street to cora and i was like can i just get my room back, I'll stay here and finish out high school, I won't bother you, I won't make any commotion, I just want to finish high school, and then I'm going to go about my way. And she was like, fine, you can stay. So that, and that's exactly what happened. I went to high school day from there, and I just focused on being the best person possible, never having to, you know, depend on people mm-hmm. or you know, make sure I have my life together because I don't ever want that feeling of being put out on the street <laughs> and potentially having nowhere to go. Yeah. Do you remember at all, like, when your dad was, um, like, settling down with this woman or having mm-hmm. children with this yes. woman? Was there any, like, thought of, like, oh, maybe he's ready for family? Or, like, how did you, you know? Yeah, I remember him... Um, marrying her they've been settling down they didn't have any kids together but she had her kids with her mm-hmm. okay. and um you know i was like oh and i was i was the babysitter <laughs> so okay. it was yeah. convenient you know and i would come over there on the weekends before i even left my mother for that year you know during that crazy time i would go to his house on the weekend sometimes and i would just be there i would watch the kids for them i would you know just chill out you know, because me and my, even in that situation, me and my dad really never talked. It was like sure. no, no conversation of, I, I told my kids, I said, I probably can put all the minutes together of me and my father talking. It'll probably end up in two hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you put them all together. So it was, um, it was just me trying to figure out things like, what is my next move? Because I'm in this crazy situation right here. And then I also feel like I don't belong here because for whatever reason, emotionally, I feel like I don't belong here with him. So it's like, what am I, you know, I'm just trying to process what I'm, but what is Barry going to do right. to make sure that he's covered, basically? Yeah. It's a lot. It's a mm. lot for a kid and for a right. teen. So did you feel at all like in your school or in your community or whatever, mm-hmm. like do you, how did being in kinship care, mm-hmm. like do you feel like that was known or that you were received no. in any specific way? Or? A lot of people didn't know I lived with my grandmother. Okay. My, my, a lot of my friends didn't know. I really didn't discuss it. It was just, okay. nobody, I never invited anybody over <laughs> to my house. I was just, anywhere they wanted to go, I was like, I'll meet you there, you know. Yeah. Nobody ever really knew per se, that, you know, my grandmother was raising me, or I, I didn't live with my mother or my father. It was just, Barry's here. I was just Barry, sure. you know? And 
one, a few people knew, all the people that knew is the, the elementary school that I went to that was actually behind my grandmother's house. Okay. And I would go there to volunteer and just, mm. you know, be around people. And, yeah. how about, and that's where I had my mentor was there. You spoke about mentors. I love mentors because my mentor was my third grade teacher who was at that school. She was still there. So I would go mm. over there, talk to her. We'll go hang out. She'll feed me, thank God. And <laughs> was, we would, you know, you know, it was like best friends. We would just hang out, cackle. She would give me advice. I would listen. It was like a mother that I needed during that time. And um, I would, for about 17 years, I would go put a classroom together, take it down every year until like she retired. That was me. From third grade all the way until she retired. I would go there and do that for her and we would have the best time doing that. And did that relationship just happen organically or organic. was that? A, okay. It was very organic. I always talk about her when I do interviews. It Miss Sims Morton. She was like one of the, like a godsend to me, you know, I, it was someone that I probably truly needed that was just there outside of the commotion, that mm. can take me outside of the commotion. And um, yes, yeah, it was just organic. I had actually met her in second grade when I joined the school choir. She was the choir teacher. <laughs> and I would, you know, when I first met her, I was like, oh my God, she's cool, you know. <laughs> You're like, I'll break down right, your classroom for right. you. <laughs> and when I end up going, be, actually being in her class, I, like my grandmother told me who the teacher was. I'm like, oh, thank God. You know? <laughs> I didn't want that teacher. You know? yeah. And from that year on, it was like two peas in a pod. I don't care where I was, she was going to be there. She was at my graduation. She was at my fifth grade graduation. She was at my baptism when I decided to get baptized. She drove over there and she sat there and watched me get baptized, celebrated after every monument that I had. Even when my kid, my oldest kid was adopted, she, I would text him like, I'm a dad now. She was like, good job. <laughs> that is so cool and we hear about this you know the people that I have adoptees um, or foster youth we hear mm -hmm. about like these people in their lives right. that really made a difference that mm -hmm. that were outside of their wherever they were staying so right. that's awesome so I, I know that you chose to foster Mm -hmm. super early yeah <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about you know what led to that decision well at the time I had just moved out I moved out in 19 right after high school I just decided to go about my business because that was the plan <laughs> that was the plan stay in high school make sure you do work 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 and move out on your own and that's what mm -hmm. I did I did exactly that it took no time I was determined but, you know, a year after moving out, I was just sitting there like, I don't want to go to college right now. What am I going to do with myself, you know? And I was like, oh. So I was actually looking to be a trucker. And it was this employment guy that um, had trucker listings for schools and whatnot. But then I saw this ad that said, become a foster parent today. And I, do, I did enjoy working with kids. I had been working with kids the whole time since high school up until that point. And I was like, okay, well, that's different. But you know, barely you got but a one-bedroom, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I did make the call, and I got the interview. And the, um, 
the director interviewed me and she was like, you know, tell me about yourself and whatnot. And I told her about my background and, you know, where I come from and what I've been through and whatnot. She's like, wow, you know, you're a perfect fit. She's like, how old are you? And I was like, <laughs> so she was, I was like, well, I'm 19, about to be 20. She was like, wow, you are? Because I look like this. So, you know, people are like uh, 30, maybe 40. Sure. <laughs> so, so she was like, this is, this, this would be interesting. You know, she said, I'm, I really want you to do this because I feel mm. you, can, you can do this. She said, so she had to go to the uh, higher ups and let them know that what she's about to do was license this 20 year old mm-hmm. black single guy. <laughs> so she was very upfront and honest. She was like, you know, I want to be honest with you. Um, you're probably not going to get a lot of placements in the beginning because you're young, you're, you know, you're a black guy, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm cool with that. I'll be patient because I'm always practicing on patience. I don't want to rush anything, you know. I want to let things happen as they should. When it's meant to be. When it's meant to be. So it was about a year and I did not get a placement. I was was just going to the trains, getting my license updated and whatnot, living my life. You know, in between all that, my father had passed away and, you know, I was just doing my whole thing. And she calls me one day. She's like, I have this placement for you, but it's outside of the ages that you decided. I was like, mm. <laughs> so I don't know about that. She was like, I have a 15-year-old in a group home. Would you willing, be willing to give it a try? And I said, ah, 15 in a group home. And I went down and she was like, he's this little guy, blah, blah, blah. He's, you know, I think you'll be great for him. So I get to the group home. This ain't a little guy. This guy about, <laughs> little guy. This little guy about my size with hair <laughs> on his face. Oh, no. Whoa. You know, but I did end up taking him in for a little while. It was a tough case. Very emotional, tough case for him. You know, he lost a lot. He didn't have anybody, but he couldn't get past that. Um, I tried to get him past that, but um, it just wouldn't work. Sure. And after a month after he left, that's when I got my oldest son. And he was seven at the time. And I did not know he was white. They didn't know. The agency didn't know (laughs) that he was white. But when I got there and um, I saw him, I was like, oh, my God, what am I supposed to do with my white kid? I don't know what to do. (laughs) I've been working in the inner city strictly with African-American Hispanic children. I had never dealt with a white child sure. in any capacity, barely dealt with white people in any capacity. So I was just really out of my realm with this whole thing. But I was willing to give it a try because I said, well, this would be interesting because I've never heard of this before. And if I can master this, this would be cool. You know, we can try to, you know, this little I can have experience in this. Maybe I can apply it to white area or daycares. And <laughs> I was thinking ahead. I was like, wow. This. Well, I was shocked as well because my first placement was a biracial child, Hispanic, white. And this child was white. I was like, where were all the black kids at? I thought we was in sure. foster care too. <laughs> so... Me and my aunt was asking, because I talked to my aunt about everything, and I was like, she was like, where are all the black kids? I said, that's what I'm trying to figure out, but maybe we're doing real good right now in Virginia. <laughs> there ain't no, <laughs> ain't no black kids in foster care. But um, I, the, the plan was never to adopt. I didn't know anything 
about foster care adoption or, you know, adoption period. At that mm-hmm. point, I knew adoption existed, but I didn't know you could do it through foster care. Okay. Until it was presented to me when my oldest son was notified that he wasn't returning home or mm-hmm. whatever, he, whatever home was to him. And, and how long was that after you first got him? That was just about four or five months. Okay. And I was like, wow. And when the social worker approached me, she's like, would you be, cons- would you consider adopting him? I said, who, me? <laughs> I didn't even know y'all, y'all, y'all did something like that. What does that even mean? <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I would um, be willing to adopt him. And we um, eventually, we ended up moving forward in that process. It's a little deeper story than that, but I don't know. Sure. <laughs> but if we end up moving forward with that, and we just, you know, uh, adopted him, and he just went on about our little merry way for a little while. That's so cool. So, um, how was it like in those first months? Like, was it? I know that at first you're like, I don't know what to do with white kid, but, but <laughs> like, as you like, you know, hang out with this dude, mm-hmm. you get to know him. Is it? Does the weirdness mm-hmm. and the scary factor kind of go away? the funny thing is he's been calling me dad since the day I got him <laughs> like within an hour dad can we go da, da, da. he claimed like, well, you he's <laughs> claimed it right <laughs> <laughs> but um it was just me trying to make sure I didn't mess up sure. to try and burn him I got him he had sunburn off the guy to put the sunscreen on him at the beach I mean it was the, I ain't know where to get the hair cut the boy and cut the hair his hair on his own I don't, know, what the, what the, I don't even know where to go to get your hair cut. You know, cut your hair on <laughs> Bangs was terrible. <laughs> I was like, what is going on? So, you know, it was, it was a, a learning curve, and I enjoyed it. It was, you know, very interesting to see myself adapt to full-time parenting with a younger child versus a teenager, which really didn't need me to be, you know, as much as a little person would. So... Do you, did you get any, I hear often, but, you know, usually from, um, you know, black women that Mm. have adopted white kids, Mm. um, some of the, like, some of the, you should really be taking care of your own, like, why aren't you, you know, foster adopting black Mm. kids, they, you know, so So, did you get any of that? Not until we went viral. Oh, on okay. social media. Not till no, everybody could have an opinion. <laughs> yeah, not till everybody can have an opinion to my, well, not to my face, but in the keyboard. Right. <laughs> but of before then, nobody, you know, I, my friend, those are my friends, Tia, Raising Culture, yeah. Jenna Wilder, all of them. We've talked on Instagram, we've talked in the DMs about what they had been through. Nobody has ever walked up on me and said, hey, where you get that black? Yeah, I wish somebody would. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I had, and when they when we were talking about it, because I did lives like this with them, and they all had the similarities of somebody stopped me, I had to take around my adoption papers and whatnot. Nobody has ever did that to me. And my aunt, I told my aunt about it. She was like, Yeah, because in public you don't look that approachable. <laughs> it's more, you know. And I was like, Gosh, I don't know how I would even react. If someone, you know, but I did, I, I did tell them, I said, when well, we went to California to do a project for Disney, oh yeah, Barry made sure he had all the documents <laughs> that we needed to yeah, get on the plane, yeah. get off the plane, because if anybody tried to make something out of nothing, it was going to be a problem being on news for a whole nother reason. 
<laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but nobody has ever did that. But that's when those opinions start coming. And I, I had never heard it before. It was new to my ears and my eyes. I'm like, what do they mean? Why didn't I adopt in the black kids? I worked in the inner city all my life. <laughs> right. I, like, what do you mean I didn't, I didn't do anything for my community? I worked in the inner city. I've been a mentor to countless young black men to this very day. Sure. One, one of the co-hosts on my show is one of my mentees. <laughs> so what are you talking about? So right. yeah, and I had to take a step back and be like, oh, that's right. They don't really know you. Well, and when you look often at those people commenting, what are mm. they doing? Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> like, how, many, how many damn black kids you talk exactly. about in that room? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Did you experience anything like Kia? I re I feel like Kia just recently talked about like at the doctor's office, them being like, we need to make sure that you really no. are the dad or mom. No, well, I think that's because my kids have been seeing the same doctor. I've taken all my foster kids to the same doctor since I started foster care, which is a black doctor. And he's very, very diverse in his treatment of diversity. And he's very good. And I'm like, if I had a white kid, a black kid, Hispanic kid, Indian kid, all of them would be going to him. <laughs> because I need you to treat them. I don't need you to try to change the skin color or anything. I need you to make them better. Yeah. So, and he was very good at making them better as far as um, treatments for skin and medication and things like that. But this is, you know, that, I guess that's why I didn't have any problems with that. Yeah, and it's rare. I mean, it's rare to find a doctor nowadays that will actually know your kids or know you as a patient and actually follow you and care. Right. He's, he knows, he's had, he's treated all the kids. And I, if I get a, if I was decided to jump back into fostering or whatever, they would be going to him. I would like. I would tell the agency, "Oh, we have a doctor." <laughs> you know, that's what. That's what it would be. Yeah, and you mentioned that you know where you um, live. Mm -hmm. That it's um, pretty diverse. Is it pretty diverse, or is it? Well, at first, we lived in the inner city of Richmond, which okay. is not as diverse as I would like it to be. Like it to be okay. for if I'm raising a white child. So we sure. end up moving to the suburbs where it's more diverse and it was like black kids, Indian kids, Chinese kids, white kids, and they can pick and choose who they are more friendly with or whatever. Sure. You know, just get a There's taste some representation. Of, yeah, representation yeah. and you know, things like that. So that was the point I always tell people, if you're not willing to move, then you shouldn't be doing transracial adoptions. Because yeah. if you're if you're isolating your children, that's a problem. Yeah. No, yeah, that's cool to hear about. Um, and I know that um, being able to make that decision to move, mm. it's, a, it's a big deal, yeah. but it's, it's very meaningful. Yeah, that's mm. awesome. Tell us a little bit about how you being in kinship care or mm. your circumstances of childhood influenced how you are a father. Well, I did make it a point that I was gonna be everything that I wish I had. Mm -hmm. That was first and foremost. And I was going to provide the experiences that my mentor provided for me. If it wasn't for my mentor, I would have never got off the block because my grandmother mm. didn't drive. Mm -hmm. So she took me everywhere. It was D.C. and on vacations with her and her nieces and whatnot. It was, you know, uh, and she had other mentees that she mentored from Africa that we all hung out together and did go to theme parks and things like that. I needed that. And when you talk about foster kids, foster kids and adopted kids who are in foster care, at least, 
they don't have those experiences all the time before they are placed in homes who are trying to care for them. Mm -hmm. um, I knew that if I did this, I'm going to take them everywhere that I, that I went and then, then some. We, did, we have done road trips. We have done so much, you know. One of my middle son is like, Dad, we don't even do these things anymore. I'm like, because y'all teenagers, we don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but it has been important to me to make sure I was everything that I wish I had. And I'm a, I'm a listening ear. I'm, I'm very stern, but I, I, I listen as much as I can at this point. We're, and try to help them, but you know, sometimes they have to make their own decisions and have their own failures. Yeah. And um, you know, that's kind of hard to step back and watch them fall flat on their face. But that's a lot. You have to know when to be quiet and listen, but you also need to know that you know I can't be here every time that you mess up and sure. make poor and make poor choices. You're gonna have to learn to dig yourself out of that hole. And I think that's, you know, what happened to me. I wanted to make great decisions so nobody had to come and rescue me out of anything that I got myself into. So that's why I always thought very hard before I made any type of decisions, even foster care. I was like, I thought very hard about that. And I was like, well, you know, if, when I don't, if I don't want to do it anymore, I just don't have to do it. But yeah. I end up liking it. And that's what I hope as young men, you know, they're going to make some stupid mistakes. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully they will take those mistakes and they will learn from them and they will be emotionally okay at some point because I'm just not, I keep telling them, I'm like, I'm just not going to be here forever, you know, and it's going to, you're going to wake up one day and I won't, and you're going to have to learn to adjust and carry on with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I know that you have, you adopted two children after your first child so yes. you have three adoptive sons yes. right yes um okay and what at what point did you feel like um or was there a point where you felt like you needed to get more training on like trauma background and like how trauma impacts mm -hmm. um you know behavior and all that did you get that from your agency well first i was trauma <laughs> so, so you got it. I, you know, you go by your lived experiences and how you felt in the moments that they're experiencing. Not to say that they're identical. Two, I was also a behavior counselor during that time for mm. agency. So I was working with kids who were in foster care and who weren't, who were just emotionally disturbed and things like that. So that's what I did all day, every day for six so years. So I would go to work and then come home and deal with it as well. So that's kind of draining. That's probably why I got about an extra 40 pounds or something. <laughs> but, but it was, you know, I would, that's one of the reasons why I could hang in there tough with the tough times because mm -hmm. I was dealing with it and I've dealt with it. I've lived it. So it made it more, um, I don't want to say easier, but I understood better than to just give up and be like, oh, I can't do this no more. Because, you know, you have to understand that it's not all rainbows and unicorns with sunflowers and things like that. You're going to have some tough days, some stuff that is going to go wrong every day. It's not going to go as planned. And these children are not meant to fit into your perfect little, little vision mm -hmm. of a family. Mm -hmm. So whatever thoughts you had about your adopted child doing this and doing that, you have to understand that they are individuals and they have their own plans and you don't need to force any of your ideas of what you think they should be and what you think they should be doing on them. Let them figure it out. Yeah. So do you ever feel like, because you started this so young, 
Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever feel like you uh, missed out on like your crazy twenties, or has this impacted your dating life at all? Like, um, not at all. I, actually, when I was first began um, fostering, I was dating. I had a living girlfriend, so <laughs> that was, you know, it didn't really get in the way of nothing. Twenties um, was Barry. You need to work and provide for yourself. Oh, oh, oh no! You need to provide for this person now, and that was always the plan. Anyway, I never really liked parties and clubbing and things like that. That was never my scene, my mm-hmm. thing. My thing was going out to dinner with friends at a nice place, or you know, something different outside of chaotic. I didn't want any more chaotic. <laughs> I didn't I want. Get it, yeah. So you know, I wanted to make sure everything was subtle as possible because I wanted, I was looking for peace mm-hmm. and on every level. And that, you know, people do ask me like, what about, you know, your 20s and all this other stuff? I'm like, well, you know, y'all, most people don't know during my 20s when I had a kid, I practiced to be a professional wrestler. So it <laughs> I so you did doing, your thing. That sounds like a really family. good outlet for... <laughs> it was. It was a workout. It was a camaraderie. I loved it. You know, but, you know, it was... I did things that I, I did whatever I wanted to do. That's awesome. I love that. Cool. Well, and your boys are in their teens now. And oh, they're old now. <laughs> yeah, and you're still young. So <laughs> you I'm, can... still, I'm 33 now. So, you know, I started that. I, I was ahead of the game. That's what I tell people. I'm ahead of the game. By the time I'm 40, I'm good to go. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. But my oldest is now about to be 19. My middle son is about to be 17. My, um, my youngest is about, about to be 12 this year. So um, I think I did pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I know that you're an advocate in this space and you do mm-hmm. a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a radio show. Mm-hmm. You also work with some nonprofits. So can you tell us a little bit about your advocacy work? Well, my advocacy word is whoever calls me, I'll answer sometimes. <laughs> so, <I'll> but, answer. <laughs> <laughs> because sometimes I tell people, I like, some, even I do a lot of it on Instagram. I talk about things on Instagram and then in Instagram stories to give my perspective on things, not to tell people what to do and what they shouldn't do because it's just not my life place. Um, but that's why I hang out a lot on Instagram to share and, you know, talk to people about different things. But that, and that's my advocacy right now during the pandemic. But, you know, I have done speaking engagements and things like that. And, you know, I just want to share my perspective as someone who was in kinship foster care and who is an adoptive parent now to say, this is what I did. And if you're experiencing X, Y, Z, then maybe you're doing it wrong because you're, t- <laughs> you're letting your emotions get ahead of you and what, is really, what really matters in the moment. Because as these kids grow, they're really not going to need you per se. They're going to try to figure things out on their own. And like I tell my kids, I'll be like, okay, well, you know, <laughs> go ahead and do you, you know, and when if, if it works, great. If it doesn't, told you so. <laughs> but, but it's, um, it's, you know, the advocacy can be tiring sometimes, like emotionally exhausting. And I tell them, like, I'm not going to just come over here and give you all my traumatic you know, experiences yeah. every single day. I need to cuss a little bit and have a good laugh. Yes, <laughs> so, absolutely. And if you hang around for that, then I might drop a trinket here or there about, you know, what, what might work and what might not work because there is no black and white with this. And I like, a lot of people like to pretend that 
you know, there's some black and white formula to help you adopt a child or a foster child. It's not, okay? You can't just, it's not a blanket. You can't just throw a blanket on the whole system and be like, well, this is what, well, well this is what will work. It is, no, it's not going to do that. Yeah, and every kid's different. But yes. I think you give a lot of, just, you know, through sharing your story, mm-hmm. I think you give, We I, I hear the question all the time, can a single person even foster? Like, they don't know, like, can a single person foster? And just the fact that you're a man, too. You know, Mm -hmm. I know for mentors, like in the Stable Moments program, it's difficult to get men that will be mentors. Well, I say that it's difficult because, you know, this is typically not men's work. And as someone who's worked with kids for 16 years inside and outside the classroom and whatnot, you know, people tend to give you the side eye, like, well, why is he want to work with them? And why Mm -hmm. is he here? And... You know, and I don't, I don't really like that. Why is it such a negative thing for a man to want to work with children, to want to be a foster parent, to want to nurture children? Like, why is that so much out of the ordinary for people not to comprehend that it, it's possible? Right, and so? it's like two-sided because we, we judge men that want to work with kids. Mm-hmm. And then we also say you know, kids need male role models right. and why aren't the men right. studying them? Right. So it's a so double-edged like, story. It, it is a double-edged story. And I'm like, that's not fair. You're putting yeah. me in a rock in a hard place because of my desires to help and, and the capacity that I want to do it. Well, very cool. I know that um, you're an inspiration out there and um, we need more more people like you can you tell um you know our community where they can follow you um you know what's what's the best way to follow your work and support your work oh yeah well you can always follow me on instagram facebook and twitter at i am barry farmer and if you need some more information you can always visit barryfarmer.com that's where you can find out everything that i'm doing very cool well i will link to all those so that people can find them easily if they're mm-hmm. driving or something right now yes. but yes that is awesome well thank you so much for sharing oh, your no time with us and your story and i love it i love meeting more <laughs> and more people in this space that are just willing to it, it's amazing the hearts that you you get to connect with when you right. start venturing down these roads right. so thank you for everything you do and for your time today it's All right. been awesome thank you i appreciate it All right. Thank you so much, Barry. Have a great rest of your day. All right. You take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today as we took a peek into Barry's very cool life. I just love it. You know, he took his what he learned as a kid. He took his traumatic experiences. He took his, you know, unique childhood and he turned it into what can I give back? How can I make it so kids feel uh, fulfilled and they feel like they have the mentorship that I got and they don't feel like they missed out on the things that I missed out on, which is just so beautiful. You know, we talk a lot about foster care and adoption. We don't talk all the time about kinship care. And this happens, you know, more often than not. The first people that Department of Children and Families is going to place a kid with is a family member, right? So a lot of kids go with grandma or aunt uh, or whatever family member, and they may be connected to their bio parents or they may not. So I'm really excited about this kind of intro into kinship care and how it shaped Barry's life 
and the lives of not only his kids, but the ones he worked with. All right. I hope you guys join the conversation over on the Stable Moments podcast Facebook group. Let us know what you think. Stay safe out there and we will talk to you next month.